on what's going on in the um, world of coronavirus. And of course, there's a lot going on there. So we go to some of our experts. And today we're very happy to welcome uh, Dr. Arnold Monto, Professor of Epidemiology, Global Public Health, University of Michigan, also extremely tied with the FDA, which is very important on this. Uh, Dr. Monto, thank you for coming on with us. Welcome. First of all, uh, let me ask you about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That was cleared again uh, to come back into use. But since then, there's been a couple of reports of, again, blood clotting. Uh, and in one case, they found it, it was in a man this time. Is that making anybody rethink anything? No, because we knew that uh, there is a relation to the Johnson Johnson vaccine. It's very infrequent, maybe two or three per million, and mainly in women, not exclusively. There was actually a possible case during the clinical trials that was in a man. Well, if you're a woman between 18 and 40, are you going to be recommended not to get this particular vaccine, to get one of the other two? Let's look back at what the advantage is. And the advantage is that it is a one-dose vaccine for those people who can't wait around for a second dose or who do not uh, want to get two inoculations. That's the positive. The negative is that because it's a one inoculation vaccine, you don't quite get the efficacy you do with the other two vaccines, uh, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. So you got to put it all together. Uh, if you want the highest efficacy, you don't go with the J&J vaccine anyway. If you want to have only one shot and be done with it and have pretty good protection, then you go with the J&J vaccine, and the risk is really pretty small. The, um, the idea of a second vaccine, I'm glad you brought that up. So now there's talk about possibly needing a booster shot after a year's time. Is that something that was expected? Is that something that's across the board for all three of the vaccines? So uh, would the Johnson and Johnson one, for example, require a booster sooner because you didn't have two of them? And and when do you think they'll actually determine if that's needed, necessary or required? Well, we know from uh, seasonal coronaviruses, there are four viruses that cause mainly common colds and they can reinfect maybe every two, three years. If you're unlucky and are in the neighborhood when these viruses are circulating, so you don't seem to get permanent immunity. Also, we have the variants coming along, and what we suspect is that we're going to need boosters for all of the vaccines. We're not sure exactly how frequently, because this is all novel, and uh, maybe it'll be like flu, where you need it every year. But I think not. I think it's going to be a little bit longer, maybe two, three years between shots. But again, it's all a learning experience because we've never dealt with this one before. Yeah. Let me ask you about the problem that seems to be facing America most imminently, and that is that there's a slowing down of the number of people who want to get this vaccine and to the point that we're having more of it available than perhaps there are people willing to take it. Now, from a public health point of view, if we get stuck at, I don't know, 30, 
35% of the population that just doesn't want to take this vaccine, and it doesn't matter all the goodies you offer them. They're just not going to do it. What does that affect in terms of how the rest of society can proceed and go around? Well, we're going to see more transmission, and that's one of the reasons why I think Uh, allowances for people who get vaccinated. For example, what, what's happened in other countries where they it isn't a vaccine passport, but they allow vaccinated people to do things that other people are not allowed to do, to go into uh, indoor dining and things of this sort. We're seeing that with the uh, uh, recommendations for uh, going without uh, masks. Uh, it's much safer for somebody who is vaccinated to go without a mask than uh, somebody who isn't vaccinated. Right. All right. But that that's more of a policy issue and a government issue. And we could have long discussions as to whether the government has the right to tell people you can't do this, but you can do that. I'm talking about more from the health point of view, uh, because even if you do all that, OK, uh, you can go into these places if you're vaccinated, you can't if you can't. That may still not make people who don't want to get a, a vaccine get a vaccine. In the end, if they just determine, if they just decide they're not going to get it, what does that do in terms of of health? Again, it seems to me, well, correct me, me, correct me if what? I'm wrong, it seems to me <laughs> that they run the risk of getting sick. They run the risk of dying. But the people who are vaccinated, who, who are supposed to be protected up to 95% on these things, of even getting it, and, and nobody, all of the, the vaccines are supposed to t- protect you from severe illness or hospitalization. How does that change? Well, it does change because it's not going to be 95% forever. We, you, every vaccine has waning immunity. And what's going to happen is that uh, other people who are vaccinated, older people, for example, are going to be at increasing risk as we, uh, if we continue to have these strains, certain uh, uh, viruses circulating. So it's, it's, it's a risk for the community. And we do have uh, regulations for school admission, uh, for example, for just this reason, because uh if you have pockets of susceptibles, you're going to see transmission in those areas. Well, how is it that at the very beginning of this, when they weren't sure that they were going to have vaccines develop within any relatively short period of time, some countries and a lot of very respected medical people said, well, you just have to get to herd immunity, which is that, you know, 70 to 85 percent of the country has gotten it. And then you move on. So, why is that not applicable to the 30% or so who aren't going to get this vaccine? Eventually, then they're going to get the virus. But then why don't we get to a herd immunity because they've gotten the virus and everybody else has the vaccine to the virus? And, you know, it might take longer, but we, everybody should have some form of antibodies. Well, yeah, that's really uh, the way it may be going in certain places, especially in those geographic areas where People are not getting vaccinated. Uh, one of the ideas of herd immunity, and this was coming up early, is what we see with measles. If you give enough measles vaccine, you can eliminate transmission so that you don't have to worry about measles, but you got to keep up the vaccination. 
Uh, and that's one of the goals of herd immunity. It's not clear whether we can eliminate transmission of this virus, even if you get up there. Uh, so I think we're, we're going to be learning a lot about this. But it's so much better for the community if uh, various people who can't be vaccinated. One of the things uh, we know is that people that have transplants, immune-suppressed people, don't respond as well to the vaccine. And you're putting those people at risk if people are not vaccinated. So uh, it's a question of getting community immunity, and I prefer that term to herd immunity. Community immunity. And the difference between that and herd immunity is? Well, herd immunity is a real technical term. And what you're, you're trying to do with herd immunity is protecting the unvaccinated as well as the vaccinated. And uh, if we get community immunity, we may see much less transmission overall. All right. We'll hope for it. Dr. Arnold Monto, a professor of— What's that? (laughs) Let's hope. Let's hope. Well, we can—hope is is something that— we've got to give people incentives to get vaccinated. Well, they're, they're already doing it here in Detroit. They're giving out gift certificates now if you get yourself vaccinated. Right. So, uh, you know, there, there may be people holding out for let's make a deal. It's like, I, you know, get it up to two. It's like it's like when you try to get uh, they try to get people to voluntarily give up their seat on an airplane, right. you know, because they've overbooked. So we'll give you four hundred dollars in travel. Nah, nah, nah. We'll give you six hundred dollars in travel. Eh, maybe we'll give you a thousand dollars in travel. OK, I'll give you my mm. ticket back. And that may end up being. What we have to do to get people vaccinated. Yeah, It'll be an interesting see. story. We'll see. Thank you, Dr. Monto. Always good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Professor of Epidemiology and the Global Public Health at the University of Michigan.